Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Knowledge Group Podcast, taking a forward look at what speakers are covering at our events, this time turning our attention to our September 26th event, LIBOR is out, so far is in, opportunities and challenges explored. Going live with the event at 12pm Eastern Standard Time on Thursday, September 26th, we're going to be hearing from a panel composed of David Wagner, a senior advisor at Treliant LLC, Christina Reisler, a partner at Eversheds Sutherland LLP, and Lara Page, a partner at Steinson LLP. More information about our panel, the full agenda, and how to sign up and listen to the event will be found in the description box down below. You'll also find the code PODCAST25. When used at checkout, that code gets you 25% off that first webcast registration. Let's hear from our panel now. Very, very good. Now, my name is David Wagner. Uh, I consult on LIBOR transition. And one of the authorities that I have is my experience on the ARRC, the Alternative Reference Rate Committee that the Fed established in 2014 to look for alternatives to LIBOR. Uh, in an interesting development, while that uh, committee was being convened and operated, Andrew Bailey and the FSA came out with an announcement that essentially said LIBOR is likely to end at the end of 2021 when the bank's no longer are compelled to submit. So that accelerated the ARRC's work from a, uh, an, an investigatory and recommendation committee to a real transition committee that had to understand how to implement the change across an enormous field of LIBOR-related instruments uh, in every financial market in both the U.S. and its interconnected global markets. Uh, along with uh, this potential catastrophe of having LIBOR disappear one day. So that experience from 2014 to about 2018 until the ARC reconvened in its current format was really about developing an alternative, developing a transition plan, and then starting to recognize where all the pitfalls would be, where there would be winners and losers, and where there could potentially be issues that every bank, insurance company, borrower, and lender in the spectrum would all have to face at the same time and try to develop standards from an industry group perspective that could assist every one of those borrowers and lenders across the entire country uh, come to grips with this LIBOR transition. So given that, that um, large and comprehensive issue that we began to deal with, we started first by choosing a rate that has become commonly known, and it is this SOFR rate, S-O-F-R, the Secured Overnight Financing Rate. And this rate is composed of actual transactions that happen every night in the repo market, and actual transactions are one of the core principles of the IOSCO benchmark regime's requirements around what serves as a benchmark. And a benchmark has advantages and disadvantages, but the biggest advantage is that everyone can comfortably use it as a known, robust, um, and uh, a known robust rate which is likely to exist well past the date of any potential transaction. So for an interest rate swap that is supposed to go 30 years, this new rate 
has the highest confidence possible in lasting that time so we don't have to transition again to something else. And it'll essentially be free from manipulation because it is a, uh, a broad market. There's about a trillion dollars of repo transactions every night, a little bit less, but uh, close to a trillion dollars of repo transactions every night that compose the core observations that this rate is made of. So once the ARC chose SOFR and began to publicize it, they also had to create a paste transition plan that would move the world from LIBOR to this new SOFR rate and adjust to all of the changes, all the differences in this new rate. And probably one of the things that this webinar will address in, in some level of detail is the complexity and differences between LIBOR and SOFR and how that, uh, how that echoes or cascades down through documentation, risk management, valuation, all ultimately from, uh, from the perspective of a practitioner into winners and losers, you know, risks and opportunities. And that's, that's something that we'll address in the webinar. Where are these places? Where does risk capital get involved in this transition? And we want to recognize that everyone on this call is probably in a different state of engagement around this LIBOR transition. While I mentioned that the, the ARRC itself has been uh, in business operating since the fall of 2014, the concept of LIBOR transition, even today, is new in some organizations. As, as I travel and talk to banks, insurance companies, corporations, all sorts of borrowers and lenders, I realize that most people still believe that there will be a change, but it is not as imminent as they might expect it to be. And one of the things I'd like to chat through on this webinar, along with the councils who will be on the phone, is this potential for a rapid cascade of change that would evolve once certain, uh, certain documentation and market standards have been universally adopted. And those documentation and market standards are things that my, my attorney friends will discuss, but, but we'll look at them as this idea of fallbacks. A fallback is the replacement for LIBOR in every contract in the United States that has LIBOR in it if LIBOR were to cease being published. And the cessation of LIBOR is a likely event now. And most people uh, in the financial markets recognize that, but in the broader spectrum of borrowers and lenders, I don't think everyone quite realizes that there's a, a reasonable likelihood of full cessation of LIBOR as a published rate at the end of 2021. To the extent that we have $300 trillion of uh, notional contracts, both derivatives and loans and securities, all referencing LIBOR, it will be impossible to transition that entire market on one day. So this webinar will address this likely outcome of um, cessation in 2021 or at the end of 2021 and what are the steps along the line? And the steps to get there are laid out in something called the PACE Transition Plan. That plan was produced by the ARRC, and it's a high-level document that describes the, the roles of the exchanges, of the, of the industry groups, 
of the dealers and banks and of all the, the requirements of borrowers and lenders and issuers to move to these new rates in a robust, well-documented form. So I mentioned fallbacks earlier. Fallbacks are the language in every document that describe what the trustee or the issuer or the borrower should do if there is no LIBOR published, particularly if there is in a permanent way the cessation of a LIBOR publication, not just a one-day um, uh, one uh, failure to print. So these fallback languages are driving market changes because before we can find a, a fallback language in every industry group, we're essentially going out and creating the new standard for the replacement of an index. So most of the fallback language has a series, again, a cascade of events and, and outcomes, sort of an if-then structure. And the if-then structure starts with if LIBOR goes away and walks down through four, five, or six alternative um, mechanisms that any issuer or borrower could use so that there'll be no disagreement about what the, the rate is to pay. This fallback language is first promulgated by, the, uh, by, the, by ISDA, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, for all of the 200 trillion of derivative contracts outstanding. The securities markets, the lending markets, um, have, have all then followed with working groups that are looking at that fallback language and trying to come up with standards which are consistent with ISDA so that hedging is, uh, is effective, um, but also recognizes the idiosyncratic nature of their own borrowers and lenders in their market. So as that fallback language debate becomes uh, a public debate with full of public consultation, we expect that final recommendations and standards, starting with ISDA, will be available in the fall of this year, 2019, maybe as late as December, but available in 2019. And when those fallback languages begin to be incorporated in new transactions, <clears throat> the market will start to coalesce around an understanding that LIBOR is now highly likely to be replaced by SOFR in a much more rapid time frame. So our webinar is going to focus on some of these beginning concepts. What's, uh, what's SOFR? How does it work? Because it is an overnight rate and not a term rate. Um, how is it calculated? How is it paid? And how do different markets expect to use the rate in different products? And by that I mean bilateral loans versus syndicated loans versus um, uh, you know, floating rate notes and versus personal mortgages and personal credit cards. All of those markets use these floating rates in different ways with different conventions of payment and compounding. <clears throat> and they all have to be addressed and harmonized for this transition to work properly. So we'll talk about how those harmonizations are happening and what the potential pitfalls are. And when I say pitfalls, the single most glaring pitfall in this entire transition is existing deals which have no ability to be amended. And that's the place, and that's a substantial um, loophole or, uh, or, or, or hole in our, uh, in our process where 
old transactions will need to be replaced because LIBOR, in the eventuality that LIBOR is actually ceases to be produced, and there will be argument amongst all the parties in the transactions and in every transaction at the same time. That potential for significant market upheaval in legacy transactions is one of the biggest drivers for risk managers, legal groups, uh, external attorneys to come up with documentation standards that are universally acceptable to the market and to look for ways to get legacy transactions to incorporate those standards. In the event that legacy transactions can't come to terms, I think that the attorneys feel that there could be a potential for litigation as there will be winners and losers that develop in the market. So our webinar is going to focus on this, this progression of our, where are we in the PACE transition plan, what are the potentials for winners and losers, what are the mechanics of both the payments and the documentation, and then what can you do to protect yourself, to become aware, uh, and uh, and to make sure that your organization, in whichever way it works with LIBOR, is prepared for what will be a, a, an earth-shaking transition when that number that we've relied on for 50 years ceases uh, and is replaced by a number that feels, looks, and operates a little bit differently, but much more robustly and in a way that it is much more universally acceptable across the entire market. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Knowledge Group Podcast. Don't forget, more information about our panel, the full agenda, and how to sign up and listen to the event will be found in the description box down below, along with the code PODCAST25. When used at checkout, that code gets you 25% off that first webcast registration. We look forward to seeing you September 26th, and until then, take care. Bye for now.